<laughs> right? The one plus, way economy. Yeah. Plus uh, quarantining for, 15, for 14 days. I think I did the math that ended up being an extra $1,500. Totally. Jump change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, if you're spending $7,000 on a ticket. <laughs> All right, all right, party people. Happy Tuesday, May 17th. And welcome to Silicon Zombies. We have a, a very wonderful guest today, Mr. Sina Farzaner, who is the CEO of Pullpath. We're super excited to have Sina. He's going to share a little bit about himself, and then we're going to open this up for, for Q&A as well. So thank you so much for Sina for joining us, and welcome to the show. Thanks, Nick. <laughs> I love it. So, so before we, uh, before we get kick, things kicked off here, uh, why don't you give us a little bit about your background and where you're from? Sure. I am Sina from Palo Alto. I, like I said, I was Iranian, but I was born in Paris right after the revolution. And when I was three months old, my parents decided to, to go somewhere like Canada or the U.S. And they ended up in Palo Alto. So that's where I grew up until, until 24 when I went to China. And... And yeah, I was armed with the, like I was telling you, Nick, that I went into school to Santa Barbara with the computer science degree. That's what I thought I was going to do back in 99. And when I graduated in 2003, 2004, it was with cultural anthropology and philosophy. So I totally took a curve. And yeah. And then fast forward and, and now you're building this, this incredible platform that, that connects brands and their users in a, a super genuine way. <clears throat> um, can, can you help us understand, like, what was, what did you find lacking? Was it like low click-through rate or back conversions, or maybe folks just weren't really paying attention to email blasts or, or newsletters? Um, it, the engagement is like through the roof. Uh, you, you guys are literally number one in, in the world in that. So how did that come to be? Yeah, good. <clears throat> so I'll back up to, right after I went to China, because that's the backstory, is I decided to get into word of mouth marketing in China. And so we were the first agency focusing on getting people to try, try to create word of mouth. And because at that time you know, I didn't speak Chinese, uh, I started to use an anthropology concept called participatory observation, where you kind of get in with that tribe that you're, that you're, um, that you're, focusing on and involving them in, in just day-to-day -day life and observing them from the inside. So on behalf of brands, we would start involving tribes like moms for products like Lysol, like very, like, uh, like stain removal detergent, stuff like that. And we would involve them in this interactive way <coughs> systems to start automating those interactions and gamifying them. And within a few years, we became number one in, in Asia in that specific field of word about marketing and then number one globally. And one of the key differences that we noticed was all the other competitors were trying to like incentivize, like if you post this on Facebook or on WeChat, we'll give you money. And what we figured out is, you know, what people, value or what's more sustainable is this idea of making them feel involved <clears throat> with the brand in the decisions making them feel like they have a say so we kind of stumbled upon this approach of making communications more interactive 
or maybe adding points and gamifying it. <clears throat> and when we, a few years ago, when we started to look at like, where else can we apply this system, this framework of polling people instead of just pushing information at them, uh, that's when we started to build it as a SaaS platform for uh, consumer companies like, uh, like Unilever um, or, or L'Oreal to, to engage their consumers on social media <coughs> or increasingly internally with companies to keep the attention and keep the engagement of the employees, especially bigger organizations. Yeah, I, I noticed also seeing that, that you use um, comedy and humor in your platform to, to kind of lighten the mood and, and drive more interaction. Um, by the way, just real quick, I want to do a shout out for our sponsor, Nicodex. Um, so if you're looking to build a, any kind of software, you know, a lot of times folks will choose India or the Philippines, and that can be challenging from a, from a language barrier and a time zone barrier. So Nicodex instead has over 50 engineers uh, in, uh, in Arizona and Mexico with a strong track record of success uh, starting at only $25 an hour. Uh, so please check them out, nicodex.com, N-E-C-O-D-E-X.com. So, Sina, can you share with us a little bit about how you decided to introduce comedy into, um, or maybe like a lighthearted uh, brand into driving more engagement? Sure. <laughs> that that discussion then, was about, yeah? Well, I just wanted to add a little bit to Nick's question. Um, because and I had the we have, we now have the luxury um, over here at Boardwalk um, to have Nick on board. So we were talking a um, you know we were looking at your website and stuff earlier on, Cena. So um, I guess to add to Nick's question is is gamification right? There's books written about it. Definitely people have <clears throat> right gamification and humor. So Cena, please take it away. Cool. Um, on the humor side, that comes down to the just the behavioral psychology principle of of being authentic and authenticity. And you notice when things are written in a very corporate brand way, it almost becomes invisible. So what we figured out is when we create these interactive paths, uh, if the response options are all like super corporate and too formal, it doesn't feel very engaging. So a lot of our pull paths um, or engagement journeys start with like, hey, it's Nick. Thanks for clicking the link. Uh, you got two minutes? And then the response options could be, sure, Nick, happy to help. Maybe, depends what this is for. Or, no, I don't got time for this. Because those are the response options in a normal <clears throat> conversation that might come up between friends. Like, I don't have time for this. So that's where sometimes it's humor. Right, to keep engaging. Sometimes it's just conversational. Sometimes it's just emojis, because it's easy. But the trick is get people to, to do some action to continue. Uh, just like in a good PowerPoint flow, you're getting your audience to kind of nod their head at every, at every, um, on every slide. So it's, that's the principle. Just keep them engaged one bit at a time. <clears throat> And right Sina, uh, for your, for the responses from the consumer on that, how do you quantify that exactly? What's the metric you point to that says that the consumer is that much more engaged and wanting to interact with the corporation in, in this way with the kind of cute suggested emojis and the implied humor versus the traditional 
here's shoving your Calendly in their face, begging them to pick a time. Right. Um, I mean, some of it's pretty standard. So it's just like, you know, click rate, uh, participation rate. But then we're looking at things like completion rate. So it's not just how many people click on it. A lot of our pads are like longer, like 20 screens, 30 screens. So it might just be a three minute experience, but it's still pretty long. If it was a survey with 30 questions, it would be, it would be tough. So completion rate. And then the ones that I look at is at the end of every path, there's that, there's a path experience score. So just, just rate this path. And we just want to make sure that the fives outweigh any of the other numbers. Sorry, so average. Okay. Sorry, I just got a phone call. I wasn't sure where it cut off the um, path experience score. Path experience score. So just asking people, how was it? And then finally, just having people feel, you know, asking, well, I'll throw in questions, or I mean, our templates will throw in questions like, um, if you wanted to do this, how often should we do it? What should the cadence be? Like you gotcha. recommend every month and then they'll kind of decide <clears throat> uh, weekly or daily. Gotcha. And what's your benchmark for comparing your performance for click through and completion to what's your, what's your S and P 500? Uh, what do you mean? Like what's your, what's your benchmark that you're competing against? What do you like consider you need to beat a click rate or a completion rate of what for you to kind of evaluate yourself as Oh, got doing it. Well. In terms of like world-class. Um, so completion rate would be about 90%. So, gotcha. and then uh, click through. So in terms of like actual participating, we try to double whatever it is on surveys. <clears throat> surveys get 20%, we try to get 40%. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And then retention. That's, that's perfect answer. Yeah. Yeah. No, keep going, keep going, no. Yeah. Perfect answer, big, stop. No, keep going, yeah. it's great. And then the, the big one is, you know, if people are one and done, that's not so interesting. So we try to get people to come back and log in at least have three sessions, because after that, there's a 90% chance that they'll click every single time. Um, yeah. Gotcha, that's a great metric. Hey, great to meet you, by the way. I sent you the random uh, post on LinkedIn or message on LinkedIn yesterday was like, oh, I have to meet you tomorrow, but hey, looking forward to the conversation. Hey, hey Cena, can, yeah. can you give us a little bit of background on, on the problem you're solving and, and maybe a little more, more foundation on, on Pullpath as a product? Mm -hmm. Sure. So Pullpath um, inherently, I mean, the way to look at it is a, like an interactive newsletter. That's probably the template that is most well well just most popular right now. <clears throat> the way it works is, uh, or I'll back up to the challenge. A lot of scaling companies today, uh, after they've gone hybrid, some of the traditional ways of like just engaging everybody is harder to do. So the town hall, when you're just sitting there listening to someone talk at you, it's just not super engaging. Or the intranets or just all the different approaches it feels like there's not a lot coming back. So we stumbled upon this because we're working with the CEO of a company. She's got like 500 people. And she was saying that when she writes her weekly email to everybody, which is a big part of her culture building, uh, she only gets a few responses back, like two or three, like, oh, thank you for the email type of thing. And she spends a lot of time into it. So that was one of the first times that we started to add a pull path. So an interactive update. So just basically taking her update <clears throat> and making it 
interactive. So the more people learn, the more they earn, the more points they earn. So, so kind of like a choose your own adventure kind of a deal. That's right. Yeah. So it's built like a choose your own adventure framework. Amazing. Um, and so now she gets like that specific uh, CEO. She gets like two thousand responses every every week, and people thank her for it. That's my biggest takeaway. People wow. really feel heard and connected, That's especially cool. with like remote. Um, with remote employees, like being able to drive that uh, that closer connection is, is huge. So, so Ro from Boardwalk, um, you you had a question here. Yeah, man. Uh, so, Sina, my question was: um, Are there any like basic concepts that involving gamification that you would consider almost kind of a universal truth that you would apply to any consumer facing application? Hmm. Mm -hmm. So to tell you the truth, we're like gamification light. So I feel, I mean, all that we apply really is the points aspect. And so that would be something that is quite universal. Just by tracking points with interaction, it just allows you to check how engaged people are and allows you to incentivize them if you so choose. So that, I think that'd be one of them. And besides the points itself, the points racking up into leaderboards are quite nice. So having either, for example, uh, mem like uh, like consumer leaderboards, like individual employee leaderboards, or having it by group. So in companies, it could be by department. That could totally be fun. Or it could be arbitrary, like team A, team B. Or we've done some campaigns like on the consumer side where it's the teams are based on like the influencer, like the influencer creating it like recruits their own team. Um, so leaderboards are cool. And then finally, rewards. Like traditionally, it's about stuff, like extrinsically motivating stuff, uh, whether it's an Amazon voucher or swag. Um, but what we found is that the intrinsic motivators are way more captivating. So that could be stuff like earn your own, earn a coaching call or dinner with the CEO if you're an employee, especially if you're kind of lower level. Um, or on the consumer side, like there was a campaign we did with India for PNG, where the rewards were actually like get an internship from the from the country marketing head. So a way to kind of boost your career <clears throat> or get certificate, earn your certificate of completion. So those are all I think pretty universal principles that can be applied. What I would stay away from is like like too much gamification and I, I get that it's cool and I've seen a lot of companies do it but I don't think everything needs badges or like make it too gaming so I guess it's a balance depending on the tribe what's an, ex an experience you've had with maybe too much gamification how far is too far how much is too far um I mean, I'm in this like CEO founder group and and they are trying to create different badges for uh, all the different things that you do in the organization. So if you go to events, you get the events badge. If you help refer people, you get the referral badge. And it's, it's cool. I mean, it's a cool idea, but I don't really care about the badges. So, so I, I guess, yeah. In, unless the unless the badges are something altruistic, like 
like a like money that's going to help folks abroad. Like, can you can you tell us a little bit about how that works within Toolpath? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, that's something that I that's really cool. One of the um, one of the customers just made their points. The points that people earn redeemable for um, like education for Ukrainian refugees or emergency services. So they linked up with a group that's providing these services as packages. So you spend like a hundred bucks for a month of education and then they make that, that package of a month of education uh, worth like 2,500 points. So when their members uh, earn up to 2,500 points and there's a ton of them, they can now redeem it. So it's the more they learn, the more they learn, the more other people earn instead of just, you know, they themselves earning stuff. I thought that's a really nice principle. Hey, Nick, can I ask a couple questions real yeah, quick? Yeah, please. Sasan, go ahead. Floor's yours. Hey, hey, Sina. So I, I, I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm, I'm trying to understand a couple things here. So one, if you don't mind, could you explain the revenue model? Because I didn't get a chance to look at the website earlier. And I just wanted to, I just, I'm really trying to understand the pricing first, if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah, to tell you the truth, we're so early in the game that if anyone wants to help us with pricing, that'd be super welcome. But right now, it's just um, it's 500 bucks for the license, uh, so for up to 500 people, I think. And then we have a premium service tier, which just throws a. Um, Is that like for a lifetime or just sorry? I'm hold on one second, Colby. I just want to see if we can have Cena finish that part. Yeah, it's a it's a monthly subscription, so we price at the at about five hundred per site. So each company typically has a site, and then for the premium service, we charge like uh, I think it's fifteen hundred bucks a month. So if you need someone there that's helping you and guiding you, uh, helping you build templates, then you go for the higher tier or else just a regular license. And then it scales with the number of users. Okay. And so let me ask you this. So I, 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 I definitely think I would revisit the pricing. I, I think from based on the market and where things are going, I, um, the pricing, it was, it was a bit of a surprise to me. Let me just say that as someone that I, I track a lot of pricing models out there mm. was interesting. And um, I, I thought it was more on the higher side. Well, what's the, of, what's the churn, right? Like we, we'll be able to, the, let's let the market decide whether the product Absolutely is, right. You're Nick. Yeah. That's what, that's, that's the way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Let it settle in and see. Sina, can you, can you share the, you know, maybe pull the, pull the curtains back on, on traction and churn a little bit? Sure. Um, I mean, first on the pricing model, because you know, we, we came at it a little bit, um, I guess, naive, just like beginner's mindset. And we heard like when Coke came to China, they first put the, um, the Coke at the five star hotels to anchor it as a premium product. And we played a little bit with kind of like lower, like, uh, like we started with five bucks per person type of pricing on the employee side. Um, and we just realized that at this stage, it's only the people that really, really need it. So 500 became that like benchmark for us. So definitely high, but it allows us to 
So let me ask you this, Tina. So if you look at, like, for example, give an example, Atlassian as a product out there, which has, they had a struggle with pricing, but then they went in there and revamped the pricing model. Now it's a bucket basically for every category. Are you saying you're on the more premium side? And there is really no freemium option, even for a zero to five or a zero to 10 or a zero to 50 startup, because, you know, that could be customer acquisition that could eventually grow because that startup down the road that started with five is going to get to 400 or 500 employees eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're playing with that freemium option right right now. We're building out all the flows to enable us to to get the the self service, the self starting uh, going. Uh, the backstory is we built this all with consulting, and then decided to jump into B two B SaaS, and so started high. So on the consulting side, we were selling fifty thousand dollar projects, and now we got it down to five hundred bucks a month, but we're toying with the idea of allowing it to be free, free, like free forever for under 50 uh, employees. So, um, or Sina, I'm super sorry. I, my phone broke up for a sec or maybe Hassan. Could you give me like the really quick pricing breakdown, just the tiers? Cause I definitely have some input on that. I only heard the back half. Yeah, no. Uh, so the pricing tiers we're saying is like very basic right now where it's 500 bucks a month for the license. Okay. So for the whole organization, I mean, and that's your only tier. Sina? Hello? Yes, hey, that's his that. only tier. He, I think he cut out, but this is David. Yeah, that's his only tier. That's what I saw on the website. No, I think oh, he has a $1,500 one. Well, he's got a two. Got, he's got a, Okay. Got it. Hey, yeah, by the way, welcome, welcome to the stage, Dave Libby. Um, Dave, I, I brought you to the stage um, because well, not only do you run one of the top PR firms in, in California, but you also know intimately how important it is for your clients to connect with, with their customers. How would you use a, a platform like PullPath to, uh, to, to empower your clients to connect with, with their customers? Yeah, good question. Yeah, this is, this is great, Sina. We have a, a client right now that, I mean, to, to Nick's question, that is looking to do advocacy. Huh. Right. And, and that's what they call it. That's what, that's what the VP of marketers, the VP of marketing, the traditional marketers that we work with, you know, they're in their fifties, they've been around the block. They've had a number of exits. They're quite experienced and they, they know advocacy marketing mm -hmm. and so they have advocates. And so mm -hmm. Octopost, for example, is marketed to that and they have an advocacy uh, feature in their platform. But the problem is, is it's not gamified. So there is a leaderboard and there, and, and that you can see, and if you want your advocates, can, advocates can see, but there's no gamification to it. So there's no incentive for the advocates mm -hmm. to get involved and get engaged. And then, so there's that issue. Then the other issue is when the advocates are at the VP level, which many of these advocates are, you know, what, what is going to incentivize them? I mean, they're not going to want a $25 Starbucks gift card. You know, mm -hmm. they're going to want like, you know, a trip to Las Vegas or they're going to want like we're talking like, you know, big deal incentive incentives here. Um, so those, those are the two big challenges we've come across. The other folks, uh, unfortunately, they, they've kind of dumbed down the process. They they just use Twitter to find mm -hmm. advocates and you know, they try to develop and establish relationships with them. My best example is Druva. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a data management company. We actually purchased an advocate. We actually bought this guy. I won't name him. And he was so good for the company 
we brought him on board as an employee. Wow. And then he launched a podcast and a blog. And then he had 10 friends that have a brown bag advocacy group. And he brought them in for a price. But, you know, if this was all done through a solution like yours, uh, and if it was, you know, if it, 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 we would have never known to retain this team if it wasn't for this one person. Mm. So there's another market opportunity that I think people aren't looking at. But that's the challenge with this whole advocacy boards, you know, gamification program is that, you know, first of all, it depends upon what's your company you're, you're targeting because we've found different advocacy programs work differently for different targets. And also we found that as far as participation goes, like I was saying, you know, level of participation depends upon, you know, can these people really be incentivized? You know, they, mm. they have enough going on. They're not going to want to play a game unless they get a trip, you know, on a cruise or something like that. So, hey, thanks for asking, Nick. Totally. Sina, I just wanted to come back real quick. I forgot that I, what David just said, that was a very interesting stuff. Nowadays, just giving a point and an incentive with a, a Starbucks gift card does not go far. I mean, those days are about maybe 10 years ago, but I'm just curious about one thing. In terms of the platform, do you guys, are you a white label in between? Meaning, uh, uh, how, how does it work in terms of if I'm on uh, Teams or something else? Mm. I just want to understand that integration point. If you can walk us through a use case, how does that exactly play out? Sure. Yeah, we're, we're just a link. We're just a link or QR code. So you share the link on Teams or on WhatsApp or on Slack or on email. And what comes up is immediately it's like, thanks for scanning. And it shows the picture of whoever, uh, whoever the voice of that of that pull path is, and then from there it's a it's web page, um, it's just web pages. So what uh, you're saying is you're more of a guided interaction. It's really like a light gamification, but you're most like a guided survey. You're not actually in between any of the product. Where if I'm on a meeting, it doesn't just pop up in the integration and says, "Oh, hey, just start you know communicating." Because I would wonder if I'm in a important meeting, that would be a distraction point. Is it totally. just more of like an interactive survey then? Yeah, so you can think of it like interactive survey. I tend to to look at it as like more like interactive dialogue in that when you do a survey, it's really just about asking people like, give me information, give me information. It's still kind of one way, whereas what we're focused on is two-way communication. So what do you, what information are you sharing? So just as an example, like uh, there was uh, one of the customers had this big meeting, big conference um, with 150 of the top people uh, last week. So they did a pull path before the meeting in order to set everyone's expectations and their intentions and to kind of gather where the, the gaps are, shared those responses at the meeting. And then the real magic was afterwards, after the meeting happened and everyone's flying back to their city, is continuing the dialogue and the conversation. So resurfing some of the stuff that was talked about, getting input on it, and just continuing that that dialogue. But um, let me ask you this. So if I'm in a meeting, I'm in Zoom, I'm in Slack, I'm in Teams, does Pull Pat send out a notification after the call is over? A lot of the times people have that hot wash or that moment right after a call is over. You got to get up the water cooler talk or whatever. You got to do something. Do you send out or blast out right after that? Is it integrated in there or is it not, a separate channel on its own? Yeah, so not it's not in, we haven't built that integration yet, so it's kind of like a manual. You send it in the email, um, but roadmap wise, it would definitely be cool to to make that automatic. One interesting thing is, even if you're busy, like you're in Slack and whatever it is, when people click on it, the chances that they're going to finish that path, whether it's twelve screens 
or maybe up to like 25, 30 screens, the completion rate. So it feels like, I call it an oasis. Like once you're in, your attention is kind of on it. So it takes up the whole screen uh, on your mobile or on your thing. So it's kind of something super interesting about it. I don't feel that way about a survey. And the type of feedback we get is fundamentally different from a survey. And yet when you look at it, it's like, it looks like a survey because we're, you know, people are giving responses. So it's a weird in-between. It's like if a poll and a presentation had a baby. And, and so here's my, here's my last point. I know other people want to chat, but the point cash out. So I'm, I'm paying as a firm to, to pay a subscription fee, whatever X model that is right now. But then the cash out option, I assume that is going to be up to the employer or how does that cash out work? I mean, that's where I'm a little right. struggling there too. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Um, and going back to David's point, like my last company was called Advocacy. Uh, so get, and the point was across all different tribes, whether they're big wig BPs or factory workers, um, they're always, the points can be worth something. So it is up to the employer. It is up to the company. We were on our roadmap. We have um, easy integration with crypto because it's just such an easy thing to do. And down the line, maybe with uh, with other tokens. Um, so it really is like learn to earn as a, as a model. But right now people choose, you know, some organizations, they actually don't have rewards. And that's the interesting thing. So across all our projects, consumer side, employee side, often enough, the points aren't worth anything other than the leaderboard. So it's my takeaway is that people feel good to be involved. And it's it's quite incredible um, across the org, how most people are kind of like lurkers, like I'll call them, I call them digital introverts. Like I don't put my hand up in a, in a town hall or like in a Slack channel, it's just not my style. Um, so you only hear from like the loudest people, but in this way you can hear from everyone. That's where I think the biggest value is, the people feeling heard. It's more valuable than the points or whatever the points can be worth. Can I, can I just say this as a tail end of this? Sure. What you just said in terms of if, if I were in this model of building this, I would have built this from the beginning with crypto. That is such a phenomenal thing to look at these days. Crypto has attention from everyone, especially in the mm -hmm. millennium community. And I think that uh, nostalgia alone just brings so much hype in terms of people wanting to, to interact more. And I think that crypto piece would have been a lot better than just a regular point model. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, we're just coming to terms there. And also related to that is I'm not in I'm not in the in that industry, but I'm looking at all these discord channels and I just see it's so noisy, like it's so noisy. So I'm looking forward to doing a pilot with one of those channels because I'm pretty sure we can help engage uh, on a massive scale more than, you know, than what's happening right now with the free for all type of information share, which is good just as a, as a, as a way to augment it. So Sina, I'm just going to ask this one question. So what I'm understanding from what you say is that there is no other product like this out there. Am I right? Or do you have competition? I I'm biased of course, but I don't see anybody. I see some on them on the marketing space. Uh, actually, that helped to make uh, content interactive. Yeah, that's what I was wondering, like HubSpot and uh, Kajabi or, you know, do they, they obviously don't have gamification is what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. That's right. 
Um, no one does it as, I think, as simply as, as we do, um, as effectively as we do, yeah. But I'm biased. I would, I would urge everybody to check out the website. Um, you know, it's like they say, you know, a, a picture's worth a, a thousand words, right? Um, seeing, seeing the demo, it's, it's really it's just like simple and beautiful. And it gives the, it, it puts the power in the, in the viewer's hands. So for example, if, if there's a short video and then there was like three separate buttons after it, like, yes, I'm interested or no, I'm not, or like, Hey, cool sunglasses or something like that. You're, you're really putting the viewer in the driver's seat. And, and just by virtue of that paradigm shift, I mean, I, I love what you said, Sina, about, um, uh, about bringing folks to the surface that maybe historically would not be um, really interested in engaging in, in, a, in a group of people. I think that's a beautiful way to tap into this kind of collective intelligence. Yeah, and David, I also want to add that um, to, to Nick's point, all you got to do is go to pullpath.com and read these customer case studies and you'll be taken away. And it's really beautifully messaged and it's it's really easy to digest websites. So good job on that, Sina. Also, there's a company that we uh, recently represented named Halo, H-A-A-I-L-O. They're a German company. They're a new brand. They sucked in. <laughs> That's a, my, my technical way of saying a bunch of companies in Germany that were employee engagement companies all came together under one brand. Mm. And so I can see them acquiring Pullpath too. It's just right along. It's right along that basically what they realize is because of the whole coronavirus issue and everyone being, you know, at home and not being able to meet face to face, they had to have a new way of employee engagement. And, you know, I don't think, I just don't want this to be the stage to, to try and break this, this, this model or challenge Cena. But I, you know, I, I guess this is sometimes what we do here because it's just, it's so awesome. But I, I do think there's an opportunity to talk about the future of work. Mm. So if, if we're, you know, Apple just announced today that they're pulling back on requiring employees to go in the office three days a week. So if that's the case, and that doesn't really have to happen then, so are we gonna see more companies engaging their employees remotely? Uh, if part-time, I've got a, a, a relative of mine that's a muckety salesperson at DocuSign. He's not going back to the office at all. He's 100% yeah. remote now. So this could be great for him, and so could all these other employment engagement platforms. I was wondering what you thought about that. Mm. Yeah, I, I, there's been this debate, right? Are we going back, and what's the right balance? My personal take is we're now all like hybrid first, so we have to design for hybrid. Uh, just like a decade ago, we're starting to design for mobile. So it just means, from my pullback uh, like point of view how do we make people feel involved in the culture, in the day-to-day, -day, whether they're there or not? That's, that's where the magic lies. So I totally think that it's, um, it's wide open. And the other thing that I've noticed, I mean, just because you're coming from that um, PR marketing background, is a lot of the stuff we were doing in advocacy on the brand side and the consumer side, like that is, I guess, basic, hasn't been applied that, that much on the employee side on the inside. So it almost feels like a blue ocean. Um, and the companies that are involved in trying to do employee engagement, a lot of them seem to come from HR more than they come from traditional engagement backgrounds, like on the consumer side. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there in the future of work.
Cena, can I ask another another question while anyone else jumps in uh, real quick? Yeah. Hey, so what's the plan for uh, competition? Um, you know, what if someone else comes in the market? They have they have a slightly same or better mousetrap. What's what's your plan there? Right. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so we were our inspirations are companies like Basecamp, uh, Mailchimp, where there were other companies out there with better mousetraps, uh, but they were so focused on the customer experience and helping them be successful by simplifying the experience and offering templates. That's kind of directionally where we're going. So we probably have like a few hundred templates now for different applications. The one that we just decided to focus on when we came to the US last year from China was the interactive newsletter template, which is just, it's like one path a month uh, that talks about here's some updates uh, for the month and here's some shout outs for a couple employees. Here's what we heard last time and like a bonus challenge. It's just the same template. So I think we're gonna we're gonna uh, lean into the templating and just kind of offering uh, more template and and uh, and just the product. So we have this discussion all the time, like what is our strategic advantage? And at the end of the day, it's just doubling down on the product and making it easy and, and delightful. So. So, so you're, you're so, so it's fair to say your your approach is go to market then really the uh, proprietary or technology or other things really in that realm wouldn't be significant in terms of a strategy but it would be more of the go to market strategy. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean how we started the go to market here, and again, it's all very um, I guess beginner's mindset uh, is we started to work for these these founders groups, these entrepreneur groups. And what we found is by creating the updates, these like uh, interactive newsletters for these organizations, that allows these entrepreneurs to see it. And that's been like a significant lead gen channel for us. Um, and so we have that learning. And so we can go after the like association or kind of the CEO peer group as like a focus. Um, and like in that market, I don't see any competition. Um, and then there'll be other go-to-market plays. So the that's only, what we're trying to work The only with. biggest challenge I see with that is if mm. someone comes in on price, then you become, and that becomes a big hurdle. And if they're able to offer, if not same exact, very near-like experience, and price is the factor, because then price is really becoming a factor, I wonder what, what happens and what, what would you be your approach? Would you have a bucket available? Would you compete, be more competitive? Or what would you exactly do there? Yeah, no, I mean, that's a great question. Um, we're, we're, we've got a lot of uh, facts. I don't think we want to get into like price wars, but even right now, I mean, if we have decent volume uh, on the sales side, then um, we have a lot of flexibility on the price. So right now it's, it's basic pricing, but like I said, we're working on freemium. Um, so up to 50 people are free. That's, um, it'll be competitive at least uh, coming in. So yeah, it's a good question. We haven't fully tackled it yet. Sina, can, can, um, can you share a little bit about the mentors that have been really impactful for you in your career and your own personal development? Maybe any shout outs that you want to give? Uh, um, well, I, the, the first guy that, 
when I started to get into advocacy, this was back in China, um, there was a guy named Aditya. And he was the CEO of a big company, like a Unilever type of company called Reckenbeckieser. And he gave us our first project. And it's a great word of mouth with like 4,000 moms in Nanjing, actually. And one of the things when we showed him the results that really uh, stuck with me, it's like, these numbers are great. You guys have 42% awareness in the target market. That's as good as TV, like a TV advertising. But I want to see what the decay rate is. So normally when you turn off media, the awareness goes down too because there's no more media shown. And when they did the test again, uh, the, aware, the like research test to see how many people were aware, it had actually gone up six months later to 52%. And so that guy was a super early adopter when it came to doing things like um, just digital marketing and advocacy and stuff. So he was a huge mentor, had a huge dent in taking this framework and applying it to advertising, to kind of uh, marketing at scale. So that would be one. Um, and another is I'd like to do a shout out to, to John, to John Yi, who uh, introduced Nick and I, uh, because he's someone that I haven't, I wouldn't say that he's a mentor in that we've you know, worked a lot together, but every single time that I uh, hang out with him, talk to him, I get so much value. And it's the being on point in terms of like business feedback and having a unique perspective and very value add. And also, um, and also just on, in life in general. So, uh, so to, to, to dovetail on that, you know, I want to share a quick story about, about John Yee um, that I think perfectly encapsulates the kind of human being he is. So John has had a lot of success in, in life and business. And he's a West Point graduate. So he's like super humble. And um, he, he shared with me a couple of years ago when, when he was at Coinbase that, uh, that he, he had a, his own uh, personal, uh, I, I guess you could say it was like, a, like a, a process of figuring out the maximum happiness yield based on what he was donating to people on the street. So on one week, he gave a dollar to every homeless person that he found. And then the next week he gave $5 and the next week it was 10 and then 20. I think he even went up to 50 and he, he realized there was a sweet spot in between where he felt like he was contributing positively. And he ended up even developing relationships and some friendships with, with the, with, with local uh, folks that were homeless. Mm -hmm. And it was just this really interesting approach It being data driven in uh, your stewardship for the local economy or, or for like your local community. Um, and I just thought was, I was like blown away when he told me that I, I got goosebumps. I was like, you're, you're taking like a data driven approach at being giving. Um, and that was just like, that was one thing that really just blew me away. Mm -hmm. Yep. There's, there's these people right all around us and they're like, uh, I mean, I, I like mentors is one way to look at it, but just this idea of, of, of being really good listeners like you, Nick, uh, and, and being that peer-to-peer -peer advisor in a way is so powerful. Like just the fact that I get to share with you guys and then I get that feedback is so powerful. So I think, if, you know, we so can all do more mentoring, I guess is what I'm saying. What's, uh, with what's the difference, Sina, between a mentor and an advisor? Great question. So I'm sure there's like <laughs> classic definitions, but I would say mentor, Quick, Google it. 
No, nobody could tell. Right. <laughs> Clubhouse, yeah. That's a perk. Um, with a mentor, it's someone who's been there before. So they've been on the journey. They've been on that path that you're trying to do, and they have the flashlight, and they can shine that light so you can see ahead of yourself a little bit further uh, along your path than you would on your own. Uh, an advisor um, is maybe similar, um, but it's there to, it's like, I consider them like a conciliary, as in just being able to advise on a whole range of products or, or issues. And then finally, there's like the coach too. That's a whole nother dimension that's similar, but the coach is about being more reflective, like showing the mirror and, and asking you the hard questions so that you, we decide on our own instead of telling us what to do, kind of asking the right questions. So all of those are super powerful. I think that we all have this, this innate ability to coach with each other and it's almost like a dead asset that once we learn how to ask the right questions and not give advice, um, but listen actively, it unlocks so much value. Um, right. And it shouldn't just be the CEOs or executives that do that, but all throughout society, I think there would be a lot of benefit there. Hey, Nick, can I give a little perspective on that? Because I have a take on advisors and mentors. Yeah, sure. Just just real quickly. And, and then I want Payam Nizmandi to share about uh, some of his, his mentors that he's had. Yeah. So I would just say in a nutshell, an advisor is someone that's going to direct you regarding the specific personal situation. A mentor is going to encourage you to choose their own direction. That's pretty much in a nutshell, the difference. Nice. Love it. Payam. Uh, Feel free to feel free to join the conversation. Yeah, no, I was I was just listening in. I was listening in. So um, I don't really know very much about this space besides using Linktree. Um, can you explain the difference between you and something like Linktree, where you can throw up a QR code? Like, like what is the difference between that engagement between the user and them as an individual? Mm -hmm. and your company mm -hmm. i've only used linktree once but it's the qr code and it shows a it displays a page with several links so you can kind of link them uh together organize them is that right yeah i mean that's what yeah. linktree does yeah, yeah hence the name um so for our experience when someone scans the qr code uh, typically the first thing they'll see is like a headline that's like, hey, thanks for scanning. It might show the picture of Nick or whoever the, the CEO or the, the voice of that, of that path is. And they'll say, hey, this, this journey, this path will take, this update will take a couple minutes or 60 seconds. Do you have time now? And there's a couple response options below that. Like, yeah, I got time. Maybe, depends what it is. Or no, I ain't got no time for this. And when they click on one of those responses, they go to the next bit on that path. And because it's gamified, it usually says, you just earn 10 points. The more you learn, the more you earn. Um, and it might show them the updated leaderboard or give an agenda of what that the update will be in the next two or three minutes. So they're just going from page to page in like usually like a two minute or three minute or five minute experience. Um, it could be quite have longer. You, have you thought about um, 
putting this for like high profile resumes and stuff like that as well? So we, the only time we've done anything like that is we did it internally. We were looking for a head of customer success. So we designed this infographic uh, that talked about the job with a QR code that led to a pull path. And that pull path was kind of like a, hey, I'm Cena, I'm the CEO, and taking them through like a virtual interview. And then from that, I remember we had 140 um, like applications. And then to those applicants, we sent a follow-up pull path that guided them through their, um, their assignment, which is basically to, to create a pull path. <laughs> so, yeah, so there... I, I, think, I think personally, like, because I come from a very different background than I think a lot of people in this room, mm. I feel like university teachers could very well use this um, to introduce themselves from like an online perspective to their students or like in the beginning of the year before they, the students do anything, there's an email sent out to all the students uh, of the course material, what they should uh, look forward to in the class and stuff like that. So I think that definitely there's some use case in the education sector for this. Mm -hmm. um, my question is, how do you make this into a $100 million business? Um, mm -hmm. Like everything, like a lot of companies sound good until the market size uh, starts becoming a reality. So who is your targeted customer? Who, is, who do you think is going to become your pathway to 100 mil? Mm -hmm. Yeah, another really good question. And to be honest, we've kind of struggled at this conceptually because, you know, you come from like education and you can see the value. Uh, when I talk to salespeople, they immediately see this, the value for like uh, pros prospect engagement. Um, when I talk to marketers, they think about loyalty programs and advocacy. Um, that has been a challenge. Like Pullpath is used to engage factory workers in Vietnam and India or to train engineers at the Philips headquarters in, uh, in, in uh, the Netherlands. So because it's so flexible, we've had that challenge of like, where do we focus? Since coming to the Valley uh, last year, we started to focus on the internal communication stuff, specifically on like the uh, smaller companies. So 100, 150. We have some customers that are smaller, like 30 people, um, but they, they would tend to be super culture, like culturally driven. Like that's the, um, what they have all in common. So. When we tell this story of internal communications, like I've talked to a couple of VCs, I can see them like not get that excited by the prospect of engagement compared to when we talk about things like uh, improving conversion on the revenue side, on the on the lead gen side. So it's been a little bit, that's been our like positioning challenge for the past year. Um, but looking ahead, uh, you know, we are in this ecosystem of a few of these like, uh, like CEO associations with, with all the companies being over a million in revenue. And we find that the companies that are deep into culture where the leaders themselves are just more interactive leaders, like they want more information to be shared, they want to hear back from more people, those are the early adopters. So we're kind of like, let's just put it out there. Let's see who's getting creating more value. And then we'll stumble our way uh, to 100 million. Think about smarter. Uh, we would just kind of like be a little more strategic about it, but 
but I'm, I'm definitely open to any of you guys that want to uh, chat on this afterwards. I would love to love the input because that's where we are right now. Yeah. So, so I'm a, I'm a guy who like focuses on models, financial models. And mm. um, I, I think that you, you have a, you have a great company. My, there's two worries because I'm currently like raising money myself with my company. And I'm, I, I just had like a meeting, for example, today with general catalyst, which is another huge investor in the Valley. And um, there's one of the one of the questions that they ask that I'm just worried that may not go well in the conversation is stumbling to 100 million. Right. Totally. Or or something like, um, <laughs> for example, you have uh, a lifetime value for each of your users. What is that lifetime value? Is it do you only have active usage? during certain moments when people want to introduce each other and what is that value to the user itself? What are they willing to pay for that interaction for that one period of time? So like, for example, Linktree charges me a monthly subscription of $6 for the premium version, but Linktree is free. For mm -hmm. example, like the, there's a free version that can give me any, everything I want, all the links I want on a single page. Um, only people who truly want to track the engagement, We'll, use, we'll buy the premium version, um, but it took Linktree to get like 10 million or like 50, I don't know how many million users until they reached like a billion dollar valuation. So what, do you know that number, what you need to, to reach that 100 million or you, you haven't even gone down that route to figure that out yet? No, yeah, we started going down that route and having these like institutional VC discussions. And I just realized that I feel more authentic talking about what can we do in the next two, three years to line up a really nice acquisition as opposed to let's try to be a billion dollar company. Um, and one, in one sense, like, you know how founders are, like, I feel like I'm Neo in the matrix and I just see pull path everywhere. Uh, so I could imagine it grow. Um, but, but right now we need to be really nice and focused and get to that, you know, get to, so, get the initial scale. So, Sina, you've, you've seen tremendous success, though, in certain pockets. Like, for example, Entrepreneurs Organization, which has 200 chapters glo globally, right. and over 14,000 members with their headquarters in DQ or in uh, DC, not Dairy Queen, but uh, obviously I got ice cream on the mind. Uh, so, but yeah, it helps understand, like, what is that use case like? And, uh, and how can you recreate that? I mean, th that's probably a huge win for Pullpath. Yeah, no, totally. It's, uh, that organization is interesting because we're working with them on a top-down basis and bottom-up. So top-down, we're working with headquarters. So they have 150 staff. Uh, so every time the CEO sends out their weekly uh, email, it, it also, it's basically a Pullpath. So all the staff are are being engaged on a weekly or bi-weekly basis through Pullpath. Uh, anytime that the presidents are being trained, so every of these 200 chapters, they have a president who's a founder of a company, and uh, they're all trained through Pullpath. On the bottom-up approach, the individual chapters, like EO Silicon Valley or EO Los Angeles, they are running their member engagement, so their monthly updates, through Pullpath. 
in some cases, it's the only engagement that they're doing beyond uh, newsletters, so like event newsletters, like a MailChimp, and then in-person events. So in-person events are awesome because we get to like hang out and talk, but they're few and far between. And newsletters are great because you can have all the information and links, but people just scan them. It's like one and done. So we're kind of like in between the two. So how we can leverage this initial success with that org is uh, spreading to the different chapters. So that's, that's uh, one way. Spreading to the different associations. So we started with YPO, the Young President's Organization, which is a very similar setup. Um, and there's Vistage, there's a few others. And together they, I mean, this is like uh, hundreds of thousands of founders. So that's just been our initial kind of go-to-market given the initial traction that we have here. Um, brilliant, brilliant. Well, I'm, you know, I'm excited to see, uh, we're, we're excited to see your, your continued growth. Um, and so so we also have the link at the top here, uh, which is pullpath.com. So feel free to, to uh, click that and check them out. And as we uh, as we're wrapping up today, what are the ideal introductions from a from a target market perspective, like a specific vertical, but also the title of the decision maker um, that, uh, that that we can make introductions for you here? We like to we like to be a, a community centric and and value driven team here. So how how can this room be valuable for for you, Sina? I love that. Uh, so at this stage, um, one thing even before introductions that's super helpful is uh, just reach out because uh, Pullpath is one of those things I've noticed that you got to see it to, to believe it in a way. You got to try it, try it yourself. So that by itself, uh, you know, taking you through it or even creating a path for you, that there's a lot tremendous amount of value that comes from that interaction. In terms of actual introductions, well. Uh, Recruitment-wise, we're looking to build out our sales team now. So that's something Nick that we've talked about. How do we how do we bring in potentially a late-stage co-founder, someone that's done it uh, maybe a couple of times, uh, who sees who's really into this mission of uh, uh, fueling dialogue uh, in the world, more pull instead of just pushing out information. Um, so that's what we're focused on internally, and then customer-wise. Right now, I would say either if they're uh, like a membership association, those tend to be really low-hanging fruit for us. Or if the company, if it's a, um, I'll just say an executive, like whether it's the uh, like founder CEO, um, it doesn't have to be like the head of people or the head of HR or those type of traditional roles. What we're trying to do is empower uh, any leader uh, internally to have more engagement and to get people rolling in the same direction instead of relying on the whatever the employee engagement tools are, the intranets and, and whatever they have. So, yeah, I, I love the – somebody had mentioned advocacy. I think it was Sasan earlier, and uh, I, I think that's a brilliant way to kind of structure the, the value proposition that – or proposition that, that pull product brings to the play. Yeah, I love that. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, say thank you so much for uh, for joining the show here today. I wanted to give a quick moment for our sponsor Rodolfo from the Codex to to share a little bit about what he and him and his team are building. Uh, Rodolfo, you've you've got the floor. Thank you, Nick, and everyone for the space to talk. 
Um, I'm Rodolfo from Necodex, and right now I want to share something who is happening in Hermosillo. We are building a tech, um, a tech hub. Right now, we are helping companies to find the right talent in Mexico as a software engineers. And all of these talents work for these companies as a team extension for the team. Uh, they work on the same time zone. They will start working on the same time, on the same hour. And because that's because we are based in Hermosillo. It's only one north right from San Diego. So right now, we are working with a fintech company based in Scott Valley. Actually, this uh, has a GD developers. He's in Hermosillo. So right now, they are developing all of this new technology for fintech companies. So that's it. That's what Great. I want. Thank you so much, Rodolfo. And, and oftentimes, you know, folks will go abroad to the Philippines or or uh, to India, but you know, being on the same time zone and and having a, having the, the a similar ability to connect around products is uh, is super helpful. So definitely check them out, and to be sure to join us next week uh, for Silicon Zombies. We're we're gonna be super stoked to to have uh, a wonderful speaker. Um, it's a surprise speaker, so be be sure to tune in at 4 p.m. Pacific. And uh, thanks everyone for coming. See you next week. Thanks, Nick. Thanks everyone. Chick that used to die.